You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Romans 8 verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this verse, this wonderful truth. We thank you, Father, for these words which reflect so much about your heart. And Father, we pray that, Lord, you would open this verse to our hearts this morning, Father, that our hearts would be open to your heart and that, Father, you would communicate to us uh, very deeply and profoundly through this verse. Uh, through the beauty of it and the simplicity of it, Father. Uh, so, Lord, we look to you. And we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. In earlier studies and in earlier messages, I've made many comments about the, the common cliche that God is love, which we we see and we hear all the time. And... In his first letter, the Apostle John writes in 1 John 4, 16, he says, so we have come to know and believe that the love that God has for us, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. So John here tells us God is love. When we hear the phrase God is love, we're actually hearing the words of scripture, aren't we? And it's a marvelous truth. So the issue is not whether the phrase God is love is true or not. The issue, the issue oftentimes is because when we hear the words God is love, um, much of the time these words are being used to advocate that there's no judgment, there's no wrath. Uh, and that's the problem. And anytime we have a particular truth that's being abused, uh, we, ha- we, we run the danger of swerving um, to, in the opposite direction of that truth. And I think one way that we might be able to do just that would be to try to avoid the phrase God is love. Uh, just because the phrase God is love is sometimes being used to defend something that is unbiblical doesn't mean that we would want to try to avoid the phrase God is love. And that's why a lot of times when I speak about the love of God, I speak about it in terms uh, or I'll accompany the love of God with God's judgment and, and God's wrath. And if you recall last week, I, I, I was talking about just that when I, when I said that, listen, the fact that God is loving doesn't in any way um, remove the fact that that. God is a God of wrath, that God is also a God of judgment. And I think I put it this way, that if we say that God is love, God's love doesn't necessitate that he can't be judging, that it can't have all of these other things. And in fact, I went as far to say that, listen, that's all necessary to God's love. Um, I think I said something like this, if, if God is not concerned about unrighteousness or ungodliness, then if one of us is violated this afternoon in some way, 
then that would mean God doesn't care about that. Now, we all know better than that, don't we? Uh, God certainly cares. He certainly cares about that. That's why we immediately cry to him when things like that happen, don't we? Because we know he cares. Um, so you see, for God to be loved, we could say God is love as long as we, we need to understand that his loving kindness necessitates all of the other stuff. And we see that in our text this morning. Uh, we see the fact that God cares. How can we be sure he cares? Our text answers this question so very clearly. Look at verse 32 with me again. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up. For us all. How do we know that God cares? Answer Jesus. How do we know God is love? Answer. He gave us Jesus. How do we know God is love? Answer. He did not spare Jesus. Did he? He did not spare Jesus. How do we know God is love? Answer. He gave him up for us all. And there's a principle here that's very, very important. Um. What does love look like? I mean, what exactly does love look like? Is love a feeling? Is love an emotion? Well, to that we would say, well, feelings and emotions are part of loving, aren't they? I mean, they accompany loving. Uh, wonderful feelings. Wonderful feelings are associated with love. I mean, to be, be sure, if we love something, we have a deep affection for it. We have adoration for it. Uh, another feeling that's associated with love is fear. What could we be afraid of? We're afraid of losing what we love, right? Uh, when we love someone or we love something, fear is associated with it because we're afraid of loving or afraid of losing the person that we love. Uh, we're afraid of losing whatever the object of our love is. But um, here's a powerful picture of what love looks like in our text here. Love gives. I mean, when we love someone, we want to spend time with them, which, you know, necessitates the giving of time, doesn't it? Um, we give them our time, our attention, our adoration. When we love someone, we want to express it. We do this by giving. And perhaps, I think in the United States anyway, maybe the most famous verse in the Bible, and I probably don't even need to start reciting it now, do I? Because it's probably in many of our minds is John 3.16, isn't it? For God so loved the world that he what? That he gave. So we have this principle that, you know, love gives. I mean, God so loves the world that he gives and the greater the love, the greater the gift. Right? Uh, we have a few of us this morning, fellas that are married. If you were to purchase an expensive piece of jewelry and give it to some other woman other than your wife, how would that fly? Not so good. Not so good. Um, ladies, you're looking at me like you'd like to kill me. <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on your side here. I'm not against. Actually, it would be, it would be adulterous, wouldn't it? to do such a, a terrible thing as that. It, it's because we get this one, don't we? The greater the gift, the greater the love. Um, the greater the gift, the greater the love. Um, 
Well, um, Paul says in our text this morning that God has given us a gift. And what is the value of this gift? Well, fathers, how valuable are your children? Pretty valuable. Um, well, I'd say the value is priceless. Um, what currency would be sufficient enough to compensate us for our children? We really just can't even do it in terms of compensation, can we? Doesn't doesn't even it's not even in the same category. And how do we know that God cares? Um, well, He gave us His Son. Um, he gave us His Son. Paul's argument here is a it's an argument of, of greater to lesser. I mean, if God was willing to give Jesus for us, how will he not graciously give us all things? I mean, the, the argument really is as powerful. I mean, what could be more precious to, to God than Christ Jesus? Um, verse 32. How will he not graciously give us all things? If God is willing to give us his most priceless son, how will he not graciously give us all things? This is really simple, isn't it? You know, um, I wrote in my notes here, I got a, I got a sentence here. It's, it's, it reads, it doesn't always have to be real complicated. <laughs> We're studying Paul. Sometimes it is really complicated, isn't it? I wrote down here, it doesn't, have, it doesn't always have to be real complicated. I mean, sometimes these verses are tough and hard to figure out, but sometimes, like in our verse this morning, they're really simple, aren't they? They're, they're really simple. And I would submit to you that they're really beautiful. That's why I just said, you know, let's stop right here and let's just l look at this verse and um, let's just take it in. I mean, Saturday morning I got up early and the sermon really was largely done, you know, but I wanted to get up before anything started happening and I wanted to spend some time. I knew it needed some editing and tweaking. The last half of it uh, uh, needed rearranging and it, you know, all the stuff that that preachers do you know always trying to do this trying to do that i'll tell you at two o'clock this afternoon i wish that i've done this some different way guarantee but we give it our best and i i was up i was praying father you know this this message for better or for worse is my service to you it's my service to this congregation you know take it and make these final changes take this message with its imperfections you know and and use it for your glory. That was my prayer. That's what I, I pray God will do with this message. And then I looked at our text. And I was looking at it in the original language. And um, maybe, you, I mean, how often do you get to hear, you know, our Greek Orthodox friends hear this every Sunday. They hear the Greek read. I mean, no one knows what it means, but they hear it read. Um, I turned to the verse and I read these words, os. Ye tu idiu huio uk efesato ala uper hemon ponton peradoken aton posu kikai sunato ta ponta humin kerstai. And I looked at those words. Those are the very words 
that Paul wrote down. And they are beautiful because they express the very heart of God. Let me take you through it literally. I think you'll find meaning in it. As means he, just simply means he. He. We would put a capital H in front of the he. It's the father who's in reference here. He, yeah, is a, it's not really translated, the word, yeah. It's a word that adds emphasis. We wouldn't see that necessarily in the English. Idiohuyo means uh, son belonging to. Julio is a son. Uh, Idio means one's possession or uh, belonging to. A son belonging to. Um, child belonging to. It's masculine. It would be a son belonging to. Belonging to. Uk um, means not. Ephesata means he's spared. And then the phrase Allah per Hamon Ponton uh, could be translated rather for us all. Uh, rather for us all. Who would be in view there? Who Paul's writing to? He's writing to the believers in Rome, right? And through them, he's writing to us. The fear in Christ Jesus this morning, um, you would be um, in the us. It would be us for us all. That means he gave him. He gave him. We could translate it, he his own son, not he spared. He his own son, not he spared. Rather for us all, he gave him. I'm not trying to teach you Koine Greek, but I'm trying to show you the beauty of this passage. The second half of it, post, simply means how. It's an interrogative. It just means how, post, how. Well, key is emphatic. It's another one of those words that's emphatic. It could be like, no, 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 no. Uh, no, 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 indeed. Or not, not. It's used when an affirmative answer is expected. Like in the case of a rhetorical question. Kai sun to means also with him. Ta panta homi means all to us. All to us. Also with him, all to us. Kersetai. If you listen to that word carefully, kersetai. You can hear the word charis. It's the root that we get the word charismatic from. Someone who is charismatic is someone who is charming. It means simply gracious. Or in this, in the, in this inflection, it would mean he will graciously. It's future. He will graciously. He will graciously. Uh, he will graciously give. And this could be translated how, not indeed. Also with him to all of us will he graciously give. Let me read that again. How, not indeed, also with him to all us will he graciously give. This one is not aimed at our brains so much as it is aimed at our hearts, isn't it? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to advocate that we don't need the brain here. 
It's all about heart. I don't want to go there. You know me better than that, right? It goes through the head to the heart. But this isn't when we got to lock ourselves up in a room somewhere for three days to figure out, is it? It's one that's simple and it's beautiful and we're meant to meditate on it. We're meant to take into its loveliness and we're meant to take in its beauty because what's being, what's in view here is the very, the very heart of God as he's extending it to us as sinners. He loved us so very, very much. God is indeed love. Yes, he is. But you see, he, he's, he's also a God of judgment. He, he, he so loved us that he gave. He gave us his son. He gave us Christ. And the idea here is if God was willing to give us what he treasured most, what good thing would God withhold from any of us? What good thing would he withhold from us if he was willing to give us the most treasured thing that he has? What would he possibly withhold from us? Now, for the remainder of our time, I want to shift my focus a little bit to the second line and the last phrase, all things, all things. And we can ask the question, really, it's going to be the same question we last asked last week. Uh, what things, what does Paul mean by all things? What things? I mean, uh, we're, we might be starting to sound like three-year-olds here asking what things every Sunday, but that's okay because we're God's three-year-olds, aren't we? We are his three-year-olds. I don't know if you've ever think of yourself that way, but you are God's three-year-old. Um, how mature really must we seem in the eyes of some of the angels in heaven and uh, some of the, maybe even some of the saints that have gone before us? And I'm not thinking too mature. Um, that's okay. Um, Let's not apologize for being three-year-olds. Three-year-olds don't apologize for being three-year-olds, do they? They're just three-year-olds. And they're running around asking why, why, why? And this morning we're asking what things, what things, what things? Well, in the time remaining, let's take a look at some of these things. Um, I, I have six here. There are so many more than six, it was kind of tough to narrow them down. Um, the first one, if you turn back to Psalm 84 and verse 11, this is why I chose Psalm 84, because all the way back in Psalm 84, we, we have some fodder for our question. If you take a look at Psalm 84 and verse 11, which we read a little while ago. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. Do you see that? The Lord bestows favor and honor. Now, do you see what comes next there? No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. There's only one way to walk uprightly. It's to be in Christ Jesus. There's no other way to do it. And uh, he withholds no good thing. You know, we don't do it as a regular part of our liturgy, but in previous ministry, some of us can recall singing every Sunday what we call the doxology. You remember the old doxology? Do you remember the words to the doxology? Some of us probably haven't heard it in a long time. But it's, it's praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above the heavenly host. Praise Father 
Son, and Holy Ghost. And we used to sing this one a lot of times while the offering was taken, didn't we? And um, why would we choose to sing it there? Well, liturgically, it was placed there because we were collecting gifts, collecting an offering. And uh, not only were we praising God for the gifts that were being collected, but we were praising God for the, the blessing and privilege it is for being in a position to be able to give. That is indeed a privilege, isn't it? It's such a privilege to be able to give. And uh, so we would sing this. Now, um, what made me think of it was the first line, praise God from whom some blessings flow. Is that how it goes? Praise God from whom some blessings flow. No, that's not how it goes, is it? I'm adding words there, huh? How does it go? Somebody sing it. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. He's the source of everything that's good in your life. What's the best thing in your life? It's your loved ones. And who gave you your loved ones? The Father gave you your loved ones. And he did it in such a way that their lives would intersect with yours and, and that you would have them for whatever period of time he has chosen to allow us to have one another. Uh, the memories, the ex every expression of love, every wonderful emotion that we've enjoyed, all of these things, they're all from the Father, aren't they? They're all from the Father. So God withholds nothing good from his children. In fact, God is so wonderfully gracious that it isn't just a believer that enjoys this, is it? It's everyone in the world that enjoys this for the most part. Uh, even, you know, uh, we, we could be still in our sins and hating God. Um, he still so generously gives, doesn't he? So generously gives. So the first thing we'd say is God withholds nothing good from his children. The second thing is the Holy Spirit gives us new hearts. Now, yesterday I was reading this to Tammy. I was going over it. I tried to rearrange it. And I was reading it to Tammy and I, I kind of chuckled. I said, you know, this really isn't one thing. It's two things. I, I've got it listed as one, but it's really two. I mean, the Holy Spirit who gives us new hearts. So we'll call this a two for one. Um, the Holy Spirit who gives us new hearts. Not only... Do we get the gift of the Holy Spirit? If you're in Christ Jesus, you've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. But he gave you a new heart too, didn't he? You don't have the same heart that you used to have. If you look back to verse 15 and 16, Romans 8 verses 15 to 16. There Paul says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received what? What's he say there? Spirit of adoption. As sons, Delphoi, it'd be daughters as well, as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, What? Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children with God. There's a new heart in there, and there's also the gift of the Holy Spirit in there. I mean, we receive the Holy Spirit with Him, we receive a new heart, and now we're enabled to call on God in a way that we never were able to really call on Him. Sure, we could recite the Lord's Prayer easily enough with somebody. We could go, Oh, our Father, our art in heaven. We could say all that, but to really, to really, in a time of need, bow down and say, Oh, Father, you couldn't do that. You couldn't do that. 
You had no access to do that. But God, out of his graciousness and loving kindness, came to dwell in your heart and gave you a new heart. And gave you the Holy Spirit. And now you can call on him as father. Father. And the Holy Spirit has unenabled us to understand God's gifts. Uh, you don't need to turn there, but listen to me. Listen with me, I'm sorry. Listen with me to 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 12. Paul writes, now we have received not the spirit of the world, that is a lowercase s. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit, capital S, who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So you see, without the Holy Spirit, we don't even understand these things. And we're certainly not going to find a lot of value to them. Um, if I were talking to somebody just off the street, I probably wouldn't really even talk about this stuff. Um, this isn't a subject I would really bring up. They, they're not going to understand it. And I know this because I've tried it like a zillion times. And some of you have tried it too. And what's happened is it's been this business, hasn't it? Because without the Holy Spirit, uh, we, we can't even... Paul's telling us that we've been given the Spirit that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So without the Holy Spirit, we can't understand these things. They're, they're of no value. So you, you see, God so graciously has given us His Holy Spirit in new hearts Third thing I have here is all things are ours. I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but how much of this world in this life will you own? I mean, most, I think probably a lot of us are homeowners. Um, some of us are really early in our station in life. You will be a homeowner one of these days. Um, so we have a house on maybe a lot and car, maybe a couple cars and some stuff inside, probably way too much stuff inside. Um, how big of a piece of that is, in terms of the entire world, how big of a piece is that? Even, even the wealthiest of us, I mean, there are folks in Hancock County that own lots of rental properties and businesses and things, but how much of this world do they really own? In comparison to the whole world, uh, it's really, um, it's not really very much. First Corinthians chapter three, verse 21 says, Paul again writing, quote, so let no one boast in men for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours. <laughs> you, could, you know, you could you can read that a hundred times, you know, and not really get that. I mean, um, let no one boast in men for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the, or the world or life or death or the present or the future. The future is ours. That's what Paul's telling us, isn't it? Well, you can tell us that because we have a marvelous future, don't we? All are yours, and you are Christ's, 
That's why all of ours, we'll talk about that in a minute, is because we are Christ's possession and Christ is God's. Um, all things are ours. As believers, what are we going to inherit? We're going to inherit everything. Let's, you ever think about that? I've I, I got to say, I haven't always thought about that much, you know, but what are we going to, what are we going to inherit? You're going to inherit everything. That's pretty amazing. Fourth, Paul's faithful and sacrificial ministry. I mean, other than Christ, I don't think there's anyone who has suffered more for the gospel than the Apostle Paul. You know, in our reading in Galatians 6, I was struck by the words that Paul says towards the very end of chapter 6 that he has the marks of Christ on his back. You know, I was struck by that, you know. Uh, I don't think there's any of us who have taken floggings for Jesus that we would have those terrible scars on our backs, you know. Um, Paul suffered. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 15, Paul tells us, quote, for it is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. That all of this ministry, this suffering, this sacrificial ministry that Paul has embarked in is all for our sake. In other words, it's a, it's a, it's a gift to us. And we know that the message of the martyrs has served to strengthen the faith of millions, hasn't it? The message of the martyrs, the faithful ministry of the fathers in Christ have blessed us. Um, the sacrifices of those whom you and I have never heard of have been a blessing to us. Has anybody ever heard of Edith Schaefer? You've probably maybe heard of, how many have heard of Francis Schaefer? Uh, he was a great um, apologist and uh, Bible teacher of a few decades ago. Went to be with the Lord, I think, in the early 80s, if memory serves me correctly. His books are worth reading. If you get a chance to read some of his books, read them. You'll enjoy them. Uh, his widow, I think I think this is after Francis Schaeffer was gone. His, his widow, actually, um, Edith lived in, I think she just died in 2013, maybe, I'm thinking. I think she lived to be 98 years old, I do believe. Again, memory could be failing me, but I'm pretty sure. Uh, she was born in 1915 and lived to be until 2013. But she was asked, anyway, back to my point. An interviewer once asked her, who is the greatest Christian woman alive today? And she answered by saying, well, you don't know her name. None of us know who she is. She's probably dying of cancer in India somewhere. And um, I, first time I read that, I thought to myself, that has got to be so true. We'd have no idea who they were. We'd have no idea. I mean, who's the greatest Christian alive today? I can, I can probably say with certainty it's not the celebrity conference speaker. Nothing against the celebrity conference speaker. I don't mean any to throw any stones against the celebrity conference speaker. But... We've never heard of this person. We've never heard of them. But it's for certain that we are going to benefit from them. They're gifts. They're gifts. They're so selfless that you won't, they would never draw any attention to themselves. You'd never really know who they were. Because they um, 
They have crucified the self to such a degree. Fifth, this one is quick. Um, The fifth thing is heritage. Revelation 21, verse 7, Jesus says the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. Going through all those verses is beyond what we have time for this morning, but we'd ask the question, what is this heritage? And the answer is it's the new heavens and the new earth. The new heavens and the new earth. The new heavens and the new earth are a gift. And last, I say the last, the very best for last, and that would be Jesus. You know, I was thinking about this could be spun into a Christmas sermon quite easily, you know. Um, They should all be able to be spun into a Christmas sermon quite easily, actually. Um, What is the greatest gift? Um, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. You know, Jesus um, is obviously the greatest gift. I know it's really simple, but it's so beautiful, isn't it? And it should, we should note that Jesus doesn't come to earth to plead with an unwilling father to save his people. Sometimes you'll hear that. How many have heard that before? Where Jesus on the cross is pleading with an unwilling father to save his people. You'll hear that sometimes. Um, That's not true. It's not even close to being true. It's the father's will to send his son. Uh, Jesus, while he was here, said repeatedly, I've come not to do my own will, but I've come to do whose will? Uh, the Father's will. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says, you know, if there be some other way, you know, I'm all ears here. Uh, but not my will be done, but your will be done. You see. So Jesus himself is the greatest gift that we could ever receive. And this is really important that we understand this. None of the gifts that I've mentioned so far and no gift that you will ever receive can be received apart from Christ. They're all in him because you see if, if and this is really important because if there's a gift that we can get apart from Christ, then that means we could go over there somewhere to someone else or to something else and receive some gift or some blessing. You can't do that. Um, this is a radical, that's a radical idea in our pluralistic culture. But biblically speaking, you can't do that. All of the gifts flow to us through Christ. Every gift that we will ever receive and enjoy comes through the channel of Christ Jesus. There is no other place that we can get these gifts. It's important that we understand that. How should we apply all this? I hope that it's increasing our capacity to worship and glorify God. I hope that's happening to you as you hear this. I've prayed, Father, as we, um, as we, um, as we hear this message, that our hearts would be warmed. That as we hear these things, um, we'd be adoring, we'd be found to be adoring you in some new way. I know, in terms of writing this, that happened to me as I wrote this message. Uh, I pray that that's happening to us as we hear it. Um, secondly, it should lead us to repentance. Do you remember Romans 2 and verse 4? That was a long time ago, but it says that it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. And um, there's a lot of kindness in verse 32 of Romans 8, isn't there? Uh, That's meant to lead us to repentance. And after we come to faith in Christ Jesus, it's meant to continue our lifestyle of repentance. Um, The Christian life is a, a life of repentance.
But there's a third application that I'd really like to spend just a moment on. Um, It should lead us to forsake our hold on the world. It should lead us to forsake our hold on the world. I mean, here's real treasures worth clinging on to. You know, um, we hold on to rust and dirt, don't we? We really do. I mean, we love that rust and dirt, man. We love, you know, little boys like playing in the dirt. And I know some big boys that like playing in the dirt, too. Some of us are seated here. Um, We just like holding on to rust and dirt. I mean, I like to fix things. I've always liked to fix things. You know, it's, um, I've spent many years troubleshooting electronic equipment. And as many of you know, I'm currently taking this background into, you know, working on some of these cars. These cars are really becoming so complicated. And I'm finding a lot. I mean, it looks like fun to me. It's um, because they're getting so complicated. Um, a lot of people are shying away from them. They um, say, well, why am I spending my time doing this? I mean, I, you know, I took that. Obviously, to serve you and to serve this ministry, I have to work outside of this ministry. And I took the job with the county five years ago. Um, It's going to be six, I think, in March. Um, Thinking that, okay, three, four years down the road, I'll be able to jump into a part-time something. And uh, that hasn't happened yet. And that's okay. I'm not complaining about that uh, in God's time. Um, But, um, you know... um, I want to do something that helps people, you know, and looking at, okay, I've got to do something on part. uh, I've got to do something else. What can I do? I want to do something that helps people. I, I want to be able to meet people and I want to have complete and total freedom to be able to share my faith with them when I meet them. And, um, it, it, it seems to me that I need to, I need to go back to being self-employed to do that. I was self-employed for many, many years and, uh, when we had our music store, we had that freedom. We were able to share faith freely. We knew the boss. He didn't care. And uh, we couldn't get in any trouble doing it. And there was a lot of ministry that took place. So I've decided to try to get into fixing cars. Um, but I'm getting off topic here. I mean, I like to fix things, but here's my point. Every time I'm called to look at something that's broke, I'm reminded that everything is in a state of decay. These precious cars that we you know, some of us love so very much. They're in a state of decay. Uh, my fetish is not really cars. I like guitars. Um, they say cars and guitars go together pretty well. Um, um, but they're all in a state of decay. They're all really, at the end of the day, rust and dirt, aren't they? Um, looking at Christ here, I mean, you know, looking at these gifts here that God has, it should pry us away from our love affair with all this stuff. It's not that, you know, um, I'm not suggesting that, you know, we discard of it and, and become ascetics and monks and all that. That's not the answer. The, the answer is enjoy what God gives you. Enjoy it. Share it. Um, but let us know that the gifts that we have in Christ are far superior to it. And I think that a verse like Romans 8 and verse 32 leads, goes a long ways to to prying us away from the rust and dirt that we have a tendency to cling to. So what do we say here in conclusion? I would say really two things. It's simple, isn't it? It's beautiful. 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how he not also with him graciously give us all things. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, and we praise you, Father, for your willingness and your graciousness. Uh, You show us that you love us so very much. And um, we have um, we have so very, very much, Father, in giving us Christ Jesus. You have given us that which you treasure the most. You've given us what heaven treasures uh, the most. Um, You've given us yourself. And Father, help us, Lord, help us to see this. Help us to internalize this. Help us, Father, to, uh, to, to cling to this and to cling to this in a new way, to adore you in a new way. Father, warm our hearts in a new way that our capacity to worship you would be increased. And Father, we, we pray that our hold of this world, oh Father, would be uh, that you, you would loosen us from these things, Father these constant and reoccurring temptations that cling to rust and dirt. So, Father, we pray that, um, Lord, you, you would apply these and push these things upon our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.